Well, today we're going to begin a brand new series I'm calling Keep It Simple. Say, Keep It Simple. You know, life has a way of becoming very, very complicated, and especially in America. The American dream has turned into a nightmare. Think about, think about this. In the 1970s, the average person would see between 500 to 1,600 advertisements every single day. Wow, that's a lot, right? That, that's a lot, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, today, today it is estimated that the average American is exposed to six to 10,000 advertisements every single day. You say, well, what's the deal about that? Well, well these, these, these ads tell you that, that, that in order for you to be happy, in order for you to be content, in order for you to be satisfied, in order for you to be fulfilled, then, then, then you must have this or you must have that or you must have something else. You must do this or you must stop that or you must go here or you must go there. You got to drive this car. You got to live in this house. You got to wear these clothes. And of course, of course, above all, above all, you must have the very, very latest and greatest technology. In this series, I'm calling us back to simplicity. I'm telling you that it's time to stop the madness. Say, stop the madness. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12 and verse number 15, Jesus said, beware, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life, Jesus said, is not measured by how much you own. I would add, except in America. Because in America, that's exactly how we measure life. Do you want to be happy? Three people do, amen. I said, do you want to be happy? Do you want to be fulfilled? Do you, do you long for, for, for contentment and, and satisfaction? Well, these things cannot be found in possessions, positions, and popularity. Fact of the matter is, these appetites can never, ever be satisfied. Trying to satisfy these appetites is like trying to fill up a, a, a sack that has a huge hole in it. Want to try and find true happiness? Then keep it simple. See, I believe the happy life is the simple life. See, God's original plan for man did not include all of the stress. It did not include all of the high pressure. It did not include the unrealistic expectations that man has placed upon himself. Just read about it in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, and you will see that God's design for man had, is, is so far removed to where it is to, today, especially in the world we live in. I believe that there are just three simple ingredients needed in order to enjoy a happy, fulfilling, contented life. These three ingredients are going to be the focus of the next three Sundays. It's going to be the focus of our series. And these three things are our faith, our family, and our friends. I believe that if we can get these three things right, we will be well on our way to experiencing the life that God designed for us to live. Today we're going to talk about our family. 
I want to begin by reading some scripture that talks about family. And it's found in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse number 22. And then we'll read down through and include chapter 6 and verse number 4. And ought to be shown on the screen this morning as well. Talking about the family. It says, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body of the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she should be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man should love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Chapter 6. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. A lot in there, right? There's four things that I want to talk about today concerning our subject of the family. First, I want to talk about The idea of family. The idea of family. See, family was God's idea. And how many know that God doesn't have any bad ideas? The Bible says in Genesis chapter number 2 and verse number 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. See, marriage between a man and a woman. Say a man and a woman. Marriage between a man and a woman, and then children coming later, say comes later. Yeah, marriage between a man and a woman, and then children coming later was was God's idea. Let me say this this morning, two things. Number one, families should provide companionship. Families should provide companionship. Genesis 2 and 18 again, God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. And the psalmist wrote in Psalm 68 and verse 6, he writes and he says, God places the lonely in families. Families should provide companionship. Let me say this this morning, just because somebody has parents, just because somebody has siblings, just because somebody has a mate, that does not in and of itself guarantee companionship. See, healthy families require work. 
They require intentionality and focus. There's, there's a host of people that, that, that have a family. They are in a family, and, and yet they cry themselves to sleep every single night because they are lonely. The idea of family is great in theory. It only becomes great when it is intentionally fleshed out. Families should provide companionship, but not only should families provide companionship, but I also believe that that families should provide compassion. Genesis 2 and 18, again, I will make man a helper who who is just right for him. See, marriage ought to be a team effort. It ought to be a team effort, each one helping the other, sharing the load of responsibilities, being there for one another, offering a shoulder to cry on and an ear to vent to, cheering one another on. Hey, even brothers and sisters can help one another. The wisdom writer wrote in Proverbs 17 and 17, he writes and he says, a brother is born to help in time of trouble. So God made the family so that we could help one another. We could, we, we could hold each other up. We could encourage. We could minister. We could help each other in time of need. When my mom and dad became elderly and when they became very, very feeble, I, I was able to bring my older brother in and, and my older brother became their full-time caretaker. What an incredible blessing that he was to, to, to my mom and dad and, and to me. And my brother and I, we worked together in order to help our our parents. But when the load became too heavy for my brother, my wife and I came and we stayed and we took the heavy end of the load at the end of their life. My brother told someone, he told several someones, I heard him on the phone talking to other people, my brother and his wife are here and they are saving my life. Families should provide compassion. Oh, they should be there for one another in the darkest and most difficult times of life. All right, we've talked a little bit about the idea of family. Now I want to talk a little bit this morning. We'll talk about the importance of family. The importance of family. Proverbs 12 and 7 says the family of the godly will stand firm. And Proverbs 20 and 7 says the godly walk with integrity. Blessed are their children who follow them. And Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 24 says, The father of godly children has cause for joy. What a pleasure to have children who are wise. I simply cannot overemphasize the importance of family. Outside of my relationship with my Lord, nothing brings me more joy. Nothing brings me more happiness. Nothing brings me more satisfaction. Nothing brings me more fulfillment than my family does. Let me challenge us to do two things this morning. First of all, we should value our family. Value our family. What value do you place on your family? Where do they fit in your list of priorities? Hey, do they feel valued? Do they feel valued by you? Do they feel like they're important to you? Hey, do they feel celebrated or tolerated? Proverbs 31 and 10, verses 10 through 12 says, Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her, and she will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. 
Verse 28 says, her children stand and bless her. Her husband praises her. We should value our family. And number two, we should validate our family. Psalm 127 verse 3 says, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. So according to the Bible, family is God's gift to us. Do we value God's gift? Do we validate each member that represents this gift? Can I be open and honest and vulnerable and transparent with you this morning? I didn't feel valued as a kid. I, I, I didn't feel valued as a kid. I, I, I didn't feel validated. I felt more like I was a burden. I, I, I longed for value. I longed for validation. I never got it as a kid. I only got it later, and thank God I did, but only after I became an adult did that validation finally come. Which leads us into the third thing I want to talk about this morning, and that is I want to talk about the imperfections of family. See, there's no such thing as the perfect family. Every family has issues. You might not be able to see their issues. They, they, they might be really, really good at hiding their issues. Some families have, have more issues than other families, but every family has issues. I challenge you, and that's what I love about the Bible. It doesn't whitewash, cover over anything, does it? And I challenge you to read through the Bible and find even one family in the Bible without issues. You could start with the very first family. Did Adam and Eve have any issues? They had issues with each other. They played the blame game, didn't they? Did they have any issues with, with their boys, Cain and Abel? Hey, hey, did Mr. and Mrs. Job have any issues? Boy, she is a piece of work, wasn't she? How about the Abraham family? Were there any issues with Sarah and Hagar? How about the issues that, that Isaac and Rebekah had with their twin boys? What about Jacob and his family? Well, was there any sibling rivalry in their house? Take their brother and throw him in a pit and sell him into slavery? Hey, there was even issues in the family of Jesus. Listen to me this morning. If there are issues in your family, welcome to the club. Because every family has issues. Issues that need to be worked on. Issues that need to be worked through. Issues that need to be worked out. 
I'm 66 years old, and just in the past couple of years have I worked out some real issues between me and my older brother. Issues we had with one another for over 60 years. He finally got it right. He might be watching. He watches quite a bit. Love you, brother. (laughs) Issues that stem mostly from not understanding one another and not being considerate of one another's feelings and, and not realizing how certain situations would affect one another. See, every family has issues, but, but family is worth the effort it takes in order to work through them. The next thing I want to say here is huge. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's a biggie. And that is family members should be assessed individually. Have you ever heard a parent say, I just don't understand why my kids turned out so different. I raised them all alike. You what? Why would you do that? You're telling me you raised your boy just like you raised your girl? Little difference there. You're telling me that you raised your introvert just like you raised your extrovert? You raised your insecure child just like you raised your confident one? Family members should be assessed individually. Let me ask you this this morning. As a child, were you ever asked by your parents, why can't you be more like your brother? Why can't you be more like your sister? And the answer, because I'm not them, duh. Psalm 139 verse 14 says, thank you God for making me so wonderfully complex. People don't come off on an assembly line. We're not all alike. In fact, God made us so different that out of six to seven billion, with a B, out of six to seven billion people in the world, no two people have matching fingerprints. God made us with different personalities, different giftings, different wants, different needs, different desires, and we're going to treat all of our children the same? We think one size fits all. What works with one is going to work with them all. When we were growing up, and I was, I was a kid, when I was a kid growing up, all it took for me to straighten up was a stern look from my dad, who was a bulldog. Just one look, and I knew what that meant. And that meant, buddy, if you don't straighten up, belt's coming off. And he knew what to do with it. My dad called me the bucking bronco. <laughs> I got a whipping. I had marks on my shoulders, my arms, my legs, a few on my behind. He said, if you just stand still there, you'll just get them right where God designed them to be. Well, who's going to just sit there and let somebody beat on you? Not me. Well, I'm all over that bed, and so I'm getting it everywhere. But usually, because of that, 
All my dad had to do was give me one of them dad looks and I straightened up. For my brother, it took a, four, a two before upside the head to get his attention. Successful parenting will, will require assessing each child individually. Their unique personality and even the birth order will affect how they act and react in real life situations. And there's some really, really good books out there on personalities and on birth order. I'm not saying to take and replace this, but I'm saying there's some good stuff out there that we can learn about people and about family and about birth order and on some of these things. And if we knew some of these things, we would do a lot better job parenting. There's a reason why we act and react to specific situations in life the way we do. And when we learn more about each other, we aren't sideswiped or caught off guard by each other's reactions. Hey, just, just think about the birth order, for instance. Think, think about it. The, the, the firstborn gets all of the attention, man. They're a big deal. Graham's a big deal. Right? Man, that first one that comes along, and even, man, if they're the first kid and the first grandkid, man, they're a big deal. Until baby number two comes along. And all of a sudden, baby number two comes along, and baby number one's not the baby anymore. And all of a sudden, baby number one doesn't get the attention that baby number one is used to getting. All of a sudden, baby number one is not the big deal anymore, and baby number two is. Until... And then there were three. And baby number three comes along. And the problem, baby number, well, I don't think I'll finish here. Baby number two is until baby number three comes along. Baby number three, or excuse me, baby number two, all right, baby not say baby number two. <laughs> baby number two was born too late. Wait a minute. They're also born too soon. Because of baby number three. Now they're that middle child. They're not number one. They're not first. They're not last. They're in the middle. And baby number three, if they turn out to be the last child, has their own set of issues. They are the youngest, so they are envied by baby number one and baby number two because they have stolen the attention from both of them. And mom and dad are older now, and so mom and dad are tired. <laughs> and so they place some of the burden, some of the responsibility for raising the last one on them, and they resent it. And mom and dad are tired, so they don't parent number three as strict as number one and number two. And they resent it. I got to do things that my older siblings didn't get to do because my mom and dad were tired. <laughs> I also didn't get taught some things that my two older brothers got taught because dad was tired, tired. There's some real interesting scenarios that take place because of birth order. 
A lot of our family issues stem from not understanding one another and not appreciating the difference in one another and how our differences make us who we are. Part of the reason I'm who I am is because I'm the baby of the family. And there's things that I do, you know, and things I've had to do because I'm, I'm the baby. Mom and dad already had three kids. Two of them were boys. So they really weren't necessarily wanting another boy, another mouth to feed, start all over again. There's issues. Say, we all have issues. We all have issues. Amen. There's some real interesting scenarios and things we could learn. I encourage you to get a little bit of education. It'll help you be a better parent. And I understand how our differences help balance one another out. All right, all right, I only have time to briefly mention this morning the fourth thing about family. The fourth thing I want to talk about family is about in regards to family is this, and I want to talk about the improvements of family. Proverbs 14 and 1 says, The wise will build their home. The foolish will tear it down with their own hands. When it comes to family issues, we are either a help or we are a hindrance. Let me close with two things this morning. Number one, don't ignore recurring family issues. Don't ignore recurring family issues. Don't sweep it under the rug. Don't look the other way. Don't stick your head in the sand so you can't see it. Don't ignore recurring family issues, whether that is in your marriage or in your parenting or with your parents or whatever it is. Don't ignore recurring family issues. Instead, implement a plan of action. Ask yourself, is this a major issue or is it a minor issue? Minor issues become major issues when they're ignored. Ask yourself, is this something that we can work out ourselves or do we need some professional help? And hear me this morning, there's nothing wrong. And it's even a wise thing to do, to seek out the help of qualified. Say qualified. To look out, uh, to seek out the help of qualified and trained. And say trained. Christian. Say Christian. Say Christian. Say Christian. Say Christian. There's nothing wrong with it. It's even a wise thing to seek out the help of qualified and trained Christian counselors when needed. Don't just talk to Bubba on break at work. Get some real help. Amen? And it goes without saying. First of all, we take it to the Lord. Amen. I shouldn't have to say that to this group of people. Amen. It's sad when people come to talk to me. And when I've asked them if they've talked to the Lord about it and their head hangs down and they're coming to talk to me and they haven't even talked to the Lord. The first thing we ought to do is talk to, talk to the Lord. Take it to the Lord. Take it to the Lord. Take it to the Lord. But the Lord answers in many, many, many ways. And sometimes we just get that zap, you know, Pentecostal charismatic thing that we all like. You know, just lay your hands on me and say a shandai and I'm all fixed. Well, that seldom, seldom works. Good place to start. It's okay. 
God sometimes uses a process. Am I still doing okay this morning? All families have issues, but all families can experience improvement. The takeaway for the message today is this. Prioritize your family now, or you will agonize over them later. If you don't prioritize your family when they're young, you'll spend the rest of your life trying to fix it. I know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the family that I raised, but I'm talking about the family I was raised in. It's a lifetime of issues. A lifetime. Most of them were never resolved. Prioritize your family now, or you will agonize over them later. Father, I just pray that you'll help us today. God, the world, especially America, this isn't your will. This doesn't resemble the the world that you created and the life that that you intended for us to live. You intended a much more simplistic lifestyle. And we've, we've, we've just messed it up. We really have. We've just messed it up. But Lord, I thank you that you specialize in mess-ups. And you're able to fix and repair those mess-ups. Help us today. Can't tell you how many times when I preached a message or taught on family or marriage or parenting or whatever, I can't tell you how many times over the years that people in their 60s and 70s and 80s and 50s have come to me and said, Oh, why couldn't I have had some of this teaching? Why couldn't I have had some of this way back there? Can't do nothing about that. But if you're young this morning, I hope you'll take these. And this is just to, to whet your appetite. There, we have, I think on the, our website, we got a whole series of marriage and parenting and finances and all that. Go, go to there and you'll, you'll find as many as 8, 10, 12 messages in a series done on Wednesday night teaching. How many believe your family is worth the investment?